He is risen. Hear the word of God from Matthew chapter 28. After the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the woman, do not be afraid for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. Let's say this line together. He is not here. He is risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. God always blesses the reading of God's holy word. Holy Spirit, come now. Lead us again this Easter morning. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Guide, bless, keep, nourish, draw us to you, Lord. Risen Christ, King of kings, awesome God. Speak. Move. These words of mine may not be my words, but they may be your words. That the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pure and acceptable in your sight, O Lord. Our risen one and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. Can you hear the roar? I was walking around over this morning having some prayer time with God, and I heard that roar over there. I love living next to a pain field. And working next to Painfield, you can hear the roar. And there's one very particular roar that I've come to recognize. And it's the roar of the dream lifter. It has a sound all its own. When that thing goes, it has a thunderous roar. thing about the dream lifter is, and you can see it uh, in the models I have in my office of the different airplanes. They're the 1 to 200 scale, so they all are the same scale. And there's parts of the other planes, the 8-7 and the 3-7, that'll fit into the dream lifter. The parts fit in. A lot of the parts fit in. The parts, when they come apart, fit in. In the phrase, he is, ri- he is risen. He is risen. All the parts of life. Anything life can throw at you and me can fit into that phrase. He is risen. All the parts, the ups, downs, the middles, whatever breaks, whatever breaks apart, whatever needs to be fixed, whatever falls apart, even death itself is held in that phrase. He is risen. It holds it all. It's a good test for your worldview too. Whatever any of your any of you believe, what we believe in our faith, when people you know and they're and they're seeking and trying to find their way, and God bless, and we respect all religions and can learn from all religions and a lot of perspectives that we may disagree as Christians, we hold respect. 
But there is only one who's risen. And in that declaration, he is risen. All of life's parts are held. It's a good test for any worldview to say, how does it hold everything? Especially when things fall apart like they do. Can your worldview hold that? What does your worldview do when everything falls apart? He is risen, lifts it all. When Mary Magdalene, who was delivered from seven demons, and the other Mary, who was likely the mother of James, one of the disciples, hear from God's angel at dawn at the tomb, the headline, he who was crucified has risen, just as he said, well, everything changes at that point. Christ's victory over death for us is the ultimate declaration that he rules. And his rescue is finished. In his resurrection, he rescues us from all our foes. It has been done. In his death for, at the, in his death for us at the cross, our Lord has gripped us. In our most vulnerable place. And in his resurrection. He declares. I've got you. In his death for us at the cross. Our Lord grips us. In our most vulnerable place. And in his resurrection. He declares. I've got you. It means no matter how hard. The hard things in life get. No matter how horrible. Things are, and they can be, they are held in this astounding declaration. He is risen. And the power of his risen presence is constant and unceasing. In just the past few months in our church, we lost four dear ones Dick Hansen, Larry Hadley, Wally Hamilton, and Kathy Ritterbush. And those losses hurt. And there were others before them. And there'll be more to come. And yet, and yet, he is risen. As theologian Ross Hastings writes, the resurrection of Christ included within it the defeat of death in his humanity. And therefore includes within it the defeat of death for our humanity. So we have a hope We can count on because he who was crucified has risen just as he said. Dick, Larry, Wally, Kathy, and others. The one who is the resurrection and the one who brought them home holds them still. Because he who was crucified has risen just as he said. And we have sure and certain hope that we'll see Dick, Larry, Wally, Kathy, and a multitude of our brothers and sisters in Christ again as he who is risen holds them. You and I can count on that. And you and I can live into that now. This resurrection of Jesus is so big that it reverberates throughout creation even now. Just like the sound of the roaring dream lifter. Can you recognize it? Can you see it? When we look to the east and see a Boeing jet 
take off on that marvelous positive rate of climb. When George Ritterbush rebuilds a Porsche, can you see the resurrection? When Jim and his team renovated our children's rooms in our church building, can you see the resurrection? When Bud and the gardening team replant flowers for spring in our yard at church, can you see the resurrection? When our quilters create quilts for those ailing to cover them in Christ, can you see the resurrection? When Jung conducts a musical crescendo, can you feel the resurrection? This is the thing. When you and I really get the headline, he who was crucified has risen just as he said. When we really get it, then you start to be able to see it and hear it everywhere as it reverberates and breaks in. Then we know what the birds are really singing about in the morning. And we see the resurrection motif all over the place. And we can begin to live into it now. Losses and disappointments will still sting for sure. They aren't illusions. Life really does hurt. Resurrection doesn't mean we pretend life doesn't hurt. Or that we're back slappy, happy, clappy. It means that when life hurts, those hurts, as real as they are, they don't rule. They don't rule anymore. The hurts don't rule anymore. The risen Jesus rules evermore. So Christ's resurrection means that not only do we have wild hope for the future, but we also have power for living right now. The apostle Paul was a guy who attacked early followers of Jesus. And the risen Christ met him and turned his life upside down. Paul later wrote this. To the early church at Rome. If the spirit of him who raised Christ Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. St. Paul's language means that resurrection applies not just when we die, it applies now. By the Holy Spirit, we have the resurrection spirit of Christ in us now. This is why Paul can declare to the early church in Corinth, another church, if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. I once heard a pastor say, there is always a resurrection. (laughs) There's always a resurrection. In that relationship in your life that is struggling, we declare he is risen. And we get up in Christ by the Spirit and we live into that new thing our Lord is creating in that relationship or in us. In that dream of yours that maybe didn't work out like you'd hoped, you declare he is risen and you get up in Christ by the Spirit and you live into the new thing our Lord is creating that is his dream for you. And that diet and exercise plan that maybe died... We declare he is risen and we get up in Christ by the spirit and we live toward health that glorifies our bodies as temples of the resurrection spirit. In the bad, scary diagnosis, we declare he is risen and we get up in Christ by the spirit and we live defined not primarily by that diagnosis, but defined by the presence and promise of our risen Lord 
in whom we can hope for the best and trust with the worst. In the chronic anxiety that some of us face, we declare he is risen and we get up in Christ by the spirit and we live centered on the king whose resurrection defeats whatever scares us most. It can hold it all. In a nation that appears to be on the ropes in its public life and awash in toxic fury and incivility, we declare he is risen and we get up in Christ by the spirit and we live as a peculiar people salting the earth and trusting ultimately in the prince of peace, not in princes, and trusting in the power of the risen one more than any, in any earthly power. His risenness is so huge that it extends his reign backward from his future kingship of his coming kingdom and into the now, our now. And just as he sent messengers to help the Marys see then, he will send messengers to help us see now. That is what church is. We are God's messengers, God's angels, and maybe we even encounter literal angels to describe resurrection to each other. We will be embraced by the risen Christ in the deaths we all face, but we will also be embraced every day, every morning with resurrection mercy anew. But that embrace isn't just for you and for me. Remember in our text, the Marys cling to the risen Jesus, but he sends them out. Before we say that, we should also note this. There is an actual person to cling to in the risen Jesus. We as Christians do not believe merely in some phantom or some wish dream that we believe in. Christians believe the risen Christ is a concrete historical fact. Scholar Marvin Pate notes that it's ironic that women were the first to whom the risen Jesus appeared because in the first century, women were not allowed to give legal testimony. Simply put, it would have been viewed as an embarrassment to the early church that the first witnesses of the empty tomb were women, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome and other other accounts. But, and here's the point, this very fact serves to prove the historicity of the empty tomb. Because if the church had simply conjured up the story, they surely would have had men the disciples in particular, as the first witnesses of the empty tomb. Dr. Pate notes further that if the tomb was not empty, the Jewish leadership and the Roman authorities could have easily silenced the preaching of Peter and John by taking all concern to the place where Jesus laid. Such a move would have silenced Christianity just like that, on the spot. In fact, later Jewish medieval legend fancied just such a scenario, but in fact... As Dr. Pate points out, the Jewish leadership and Roman authorities could do nothing of the kind because when that angel rolled back the tomb, it was empty. Further, scholar Matthew Levering does a nice job of summarizing N.T. Wright's conclusion in his epic, The Resurrection of the Son of God. And here it is. The resurrection is supported by the fact that Jewish expectations at the time were totally different from what Christians actually found. In other words, the Jews didn't really make resurrection front and center in their thought, in their hopes, and they saw it a bit differently. The resurrection by the early church 
was experienced as a literal physical body. And the Jewish people at the time were thinking more in terms of a resuscitated body or a star-like body. What the, what the Christians got in the first church was, as the Marys found out, a physical body they could cling to. In other words, what is attested in the New Testament Christian story is so unlike what was expected at the time by the Jews that there's simply no way the early Christians could have come up with this idea because they were so embedded in other expectations. The only way these beliefs could have come about, according to Dr. Wright, is if Jesus did really rise from the dead physically. So the fact attested that the Marys grip Jesus in our text here is crucial in supporting what really happened because they didn't expect to have a body to grip. A new body, but a body nevertheless. But notice how Jesus responds to the grip. You know, he will always meet us in our grip, even in our tight grip, and let us hold him close. I think he knows we need to do that sometimes. And he even receives worship, which is also interesting. The Lord receives worship here, just as he does later on, in to the, the disciples come and worship him. But as we grip, he pushes us outward. Listen, he tells them after they grip him, go quickly and tell his disciples, tell my disciples, tell my brothers, go to Galilee where they will see me. Our Lord pushes the ladies out, sends them out to testify, just like he will do later on in in Matthew 28. Grip me, sure, I welcome you, but go. Grip and go. That's church. We grip and we hold on and then we go. Grip and go. But notice as well who he sends them to. Jesus, the risen Lord, sends the Marys to the guys who abandoned him. These guys abandoned Jesus. But he still wants to be with them. We may abandon God. But God won't abandon us. He is wanting to meet you. Notice Jesus doesn't say to Mary. Go and tell those guys. I'm coming for them. They blew it. So many of. Too many people. Have an image of God. Who's like an abusive parent. Waiting there with a switch. Ready to wrap you across the knuckles. For your naughtiness or whatever. That is not the God we meet in Jesus Christ. This risen Lord in full power. In full positive rate of climb. In all that glory says I want to meet with you. And you and you and you and you and you. Me? Yeah you. The risen Christ is inviting people who blow him off. Who made a mistake. Who abandoned him. To come and be with him. He does the same for us. That's church. That's what we do in worship. We meet with the risen Jesus. That's what we do in choir and music making. We we meet with the risen Jesus. That's what we do when we volunteer for the food bank. We meet with the risen Jesus. That's what we do in Bible study and prayer groups. We meet with the risen Jesus. That's what we do at Hilltoppers Luncheon. And volunteering for children's ministry. And just coming and fellowshipping. And calling that friend. And sitting in silence. We meet with the one who, though we abandon him, 
And though our track record is not so good, still wants to meet us up ahead in Galilee. Driving in this morning, I saw the daffodils on the pain field drive there, reaching up toward the rain. Daffodils reaching up toward the rain. In defiance of a chilly morning, we too are invited this day to reach up toward the rain of our King, risen. May it be so for you and for me. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, Amen. He is risen. He is risen indeed.